Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. Today we're going to talk about marriage. And I'm going to talk about specifically God's design for marriage. And the whole goal of this message is for you to see God's design for marriage and to be encouraged by it. So if you're married... I want you to be able to see your spouse with different eyes. If you're not married, I want you to be able to look forward to what God's going to do for your, bringing you your husband or bringing you your wife. Okay? So that's the uh, plan for today. Now, design is important. We all like a good design, right? If you, uh, if you use a computer, if you go to a website, if you go somewhere, you know when it's a bad website design or you know if, if it's a good you know you know when something's user friendly and something's not user friendly right so we get we get kind of frustrated if it's not user friendly and so it's the same with a car it's the same with your toaster it's the same with your bicycle we all appreciate a good design now yesterday uh, I was on the roof and I was cleaning my chimney and I had uh, David up there helping me and I had this um, Jonathan was up there too and, uh, <laughs> and we had this, um, you guys know what a weed eater looks like, right? It, it spins and it cuts grass and it has those little vinyl uh, strands that come off it. Well, I had like a, it's, it's like a bigger weed eater for a chimney. And you have it, you spin it with a drill. And so I'm sitting there on top of my chimney. And so you, you lower this drill and this thing is spinning in the chimney to clean the uh, creosote off. So I had ordered this thing online. It had gotten really good reviews. And so I lowered it in. You know, you pull the trigger on the drill. And the thing's spinning. All of a sudden, it, it goes crazy. It just, you know how things vibrate? That's called resonance when it does that. So the thing isn't balanced correctly. And so it's like once to shake the whole drill out of my hand and have it fall down the chimney. It didn't. But, you know, that's the effect. So it's a bad design. So here I'm sitting on the chimney. You know, my whole body's shaking because of this bad design and then it had a you know has the sets of uh the strands of the nylon strands well they start falling out <laughs> so I'm like okay this isn't working very good <clears throat> um, so we really do appreciate good design god had a really good design when he designed marriage okay so we're going to go over that today so hopefully this will encourage you um did you guys realize there's a heavenly pattern? Everything that's on earth really came from what's in heaven, right? On earth as it is in heaven. It started in heaven. It all started in the mind of God, right? Everything we are, the way I'm acting, uh, everything, it's, it started. God gave us creativity. God gave us emotion. God gave us thoughts. Uh, God gave us relationships. Um, just want to show you, though, there was a pattern uh, in Hebrews chapter 8. Uh, this, in Hebrews chapter 8, the author is talking about the priests uh, offering animal sacrifices in the tabernacle. And verse 5 says, The priests who serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things, just as Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle, for see, he says, that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. So 
you know, where did Moses get the idea to make the tabernacle? To offer the sacrifices. Well, it came directly from God. He went up onto the mountain, and God says, here's what you do. Here's the size. Here's the, here's the animal skins you use. Here's the bronze lavery. He, he gave him the whole thing. So Moses comes down the mountain and says, hey, I got the pattern. I got the blueprints. Let's make it. And he did. And he, he honored God from it. Well, there's a pattern for marriage. So I want to give this blueprint that God has for marriage today. So we're going to go back to Genesis. So let's go back to Genesis chapter 2. Let's go back in the beginning here. And I'm going to be reading uh, really verses 18 through 24. Let's start in verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. God said it's not good. Was the man not good? That's not what it says, does it? It says it's not good for the man to be alone, right? Okay, so everything God made before that, remember God makes the sun, the moon, the stars, and what does he say? It is good. Then he makes the animals and the birds and the sea, and it is good. He makes the plants and the green things and the mosquitoes, and he said, not sure about the mosquitoes, but everything else is good. You know, everything God made was good. I think the mosquitoes got messed up in the, with when Adam and Eve sinned. I think that's what happened. I don't. They probably drank water initially. They, they probably sucked water, but I don't know what happened there. But um, so everything was good except uh, God didn't want man to be alone. So actually, as you're reading this, it's like who's God talking to when you read this verse? It's it's almost like these are God's thoughts. It's kind of neat. So it's like God's saying, "Hmm, I think I'll make a helper suitable for this guy." Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. Okay, so that's what he's going to do. So I want to define these words, helper and suitable. So first, helper, uh, what, is, what does it mean to help somebody? It's actually pretty obvious. It means you help somebody. But to give you a little bit more, <laughs> a little better on that is, uh, you know, if you help someone, you give them assistance, right? You provide resources for them. You strengthen them. You care for them. You comfort them. You come alongside them, right? You're there morally. You're there physically, whatever. We, we all know what help means. So God's like, you know what? I, I need to, uh, I want to make a helper for this guy. That's what I'm going to do. And then suitable I'll define here in a second. So let me, let me just talk about this help thing. This is kind of interesting. It's like, well, you know, help Adam do what, right? I mean, if he's going to make a helper for Adam, what's Adam doing that he needs help with? Um, so, uh, if, uh, actually, this is not on your screen, but in Genesis 2.15, if you go back, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. Okay, so, so God gave Adam this job description to work in the Garden of Eden. Take care of it. You know, he could cut down trees if he wanted. He could plant trees. Uh, you know, whatever he wanted to do. He could grow crops. Well, I mean, which... Did he need help doing that? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. But if you go back even further in Genesis 1.28, let's see what else God told the man and the woman to do. Actually, he tells them both to do this. In 1.28, he said, God bless them. Okay, this is Adam and Eve now. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. I don't think you have this. 
and rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So there was a song not too long ago, well, in the 80s, um, about ruling the world. But God asked Adam to rule the world, Adam and Eve. He said, I mean, that's what he said, right? He said, I want you to subdue the earth and rule over all the creation and creatures. God didn't want, it's not so much that God wants us as the church to rule over nations. That's, that wasn't it. God in general wants man to rule the earth. So if there are mosquitoes, I can put up, what are those little uh, smoke things you can buy at the store? You put them on your deck. So when you have company, you know, they're not all chewed up by mosquitoes. That's ruling the earth, right? And if, if my tree, if I need a tree to cut down and burn wood, I can do that, right? I can, I can chop my dead tree down. You know, I shouldn't just randomly chop live trees down. I should be responsible. But God wants us to rule the earth. So I'm trying to figure out what did Adam need help with? Well, here he's, he's calling both of them to rule the earth. And certainly before Eve was even made, Adam was to rule and reign and cultivate the garden, right? Because that's one thing we know that the man and woman are supposed to do is take dominion over the earth. But is there anything else? I thought about, you know, there was going to be child rearing. And I thought, you know, if it wasn't for the woman, we would be in trouble. (laughs) I can tell you that right now Um, because we don't know what we're doing. I watched, Debbie's like, you got to see this show on, what's it called? It's called Call the Midwife. Did anyone ever hear of Call the Midwife? It's this show about midwives in the 50s, I guess. So I, I watched a little bit of it last night. And I'm seeing what these women do to bring forth life into the world. I'm like, they can do that. <laughs> That's fine for them. Um, so... We, the man clearly needed help in the child-rearing area, okay? So, ladies, we are extremely appreciative of your skill, talent, compassion, kindness. You know, I was thinking, um, Debbie really manages and runs the whole house. Uh, she really does. And um, she's the one that takes care of the kids. Uh, you know, and if we're going to ride in two cars, guess which car the kids want to ride in? her car because she is the nurturer. She has the kindness. She has the compassion. Um, and so I, I really appreciate it. She does a great job with all that. So we, you know, just looking at, you know, how this whole thing's unfolding here, we really need help with child rearing. Um, but, you know, we also need help with financial things, right? You know, God gives women gifts of entrepreneurship. Um, you know, Debbie actually does a little business on the side. Uh, to help uh, women run businesses, r- women run corporations, women run for presidents, women are senators, women are governors, right? Whatever. So, um, <clears throat> so there's there's so many things that women do to help, and uh, it's not a matter of equality. Uh, we're going to see later. God made man and woman to be equal. It's a matter of differing roles. Would you agree there are differing roles in the family? Yeah, there really are. There's differing roles in the church. How many? I asked you this question last time. How many of you guys want to come up here and preach today? Or ever? You're looking at me like, no, we don't want to do that. Because that's not 
been given to you. That's not your role. I mean, that's okay. I, I love doing this. I love standing up here talking about God's Word. So it's really cool to see how God gives different people roles. Okay, so we're back to help. Um, and in case, you know, I was thinking, well, you know, why, why does God, God call the woman a helper? I mean, is the man not to help? Well, the man is to lay his life down for his wife as Christ laid down his life for the church. I mean, if you're going to be the greatest, what do you really have to be? The least, right? So the man needs to be the servant of servants. The man needs to be the helper of helpers, right? But, you know, God called himself helper, right? You realize God is a very present help in time of need. Okay, God, who made us, right, made everything. Nothing exists without him. He's so superior, so far above and beyond, so awesome and majestic, it's not even funny. But yet he calls it, he helps us. And in John fifteen twenty six, this is interesting. You all know this. It says, when the helper comes, this is Jesus telling them, hey, guys, a helper is coming. And he wasn't talking about the woman. Whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. So Jesus is like, hey, guys, here I am. I'm with you now, but I'm going to heaven to prepare a place for you, and I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, who's God, and he's going to help you. So God is like called the helper. So I can't think of any other title that I would want to have than helper, right? Because God seems to like the title helper. And so what does the Holy Spirit help us with? Everything. He strengthens us. He encourages us. He comforts us. He fills us. I mean, so many things that, that, that God does. So anyway, so where are we? We have... Um, the woman is to be the helper. So let's move on now. I'm going to define suitable here in a minute, but I need to read. I need, we need to go back to Genesis here. So let me keep reading the next verses, uh, verses 19 and 20. All right, so out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. Okay, so what does this suitable thing mean? Well, the word means a counterpart. And the context is, guys, this is really strange. He makes these animals. He forms every beast of the field, right? So God creates the animals, and he brings them to Adam. And then Adam names them. That's part of this dominion thing, right? We're still, we have, today, we, it's, our language is a little bit more formalized with biology and physical science and things. You know, we, genus, species, phyla, kingdom, whatever it is. Um, but that all came from God. So God makes these animals. And so Adam sees these animals. So Adam sees a male donkey, and then he sees a female donkey. And then he sees a male cow, and then he sees a female cow. And so my question is, does God bring the animals to Adam two by two like he did with Noah? The implication is that he may have. But even if he didn't, it says 
but for Adam there was not found a helper. In other words, like Adam was checking out all these pairs of animals, right? But for Adam there was not found a helper. So Adam was clearly looking at, oh yeah, that's a male, that's a male cow. It looks a little, that's a bull. That looks a little different than this female cow. And maybe he saw them in heat. You know, I guess they were in heat in the garden, right? I don't know. I mean, they had to multiply somehow. So Adam is seeing that these animals are in pairs and they can procreate. He's, he's seeing this. And then he's, he's kind of like looking at himself, you know, looking over his shoulders like, uh, where's mine? <laughs> where's mine? <laughs> um, so this suitable thing comes is, you know, he saw a male cow, female cow. You know, maybe they made it. They were suitable. A male donkey, female donkey. All of a sudden, he's like, well, there's nothing suitable here for me. You know, the apple tree just isn't going to do it. So I think, you know, Adam is seeing that he's missing something. And that suitable means there was a counterpart, someone made specifically for Adam to complete him, God was going to make. And so it's actually cool how God does this. And we're going to see here. Um, But before we go there, why would God... uh, why does God want to, you know, have Adam wait? You know, why didn't he just make Eve right away? You know, he made the two cows. He made the female cow and the male cow. Made the male donkey and the female donkey. So why didn't he make Adam and Eve together? Well, we the scripture doesn't specifically say, but I'm I'm going to speculate. Okay, I'm going to give you some sanctified speculation. Number one, he would have to wait, right? Because he knows he's missing something. He's probably lonely. He's, he's like, he sees everything else going on. He sees these animals mating, and he's like, okay, I'll take care of them. But, you know, where's mine type of a thing? Um, what's the big deal about waiting? Well, you can appreciate more when you finally receive your counterpart. And so, you know, I, I got married when I was 39. I don't want to wait that long. Uh, But I waited. And when I finally got married, when God finally brought me my woman, my bride, my wife, uh, I was very, very thankful and appreciative for that. And so there could be that aspect going on. Adam was like, when he finally gets her, he's like, wow, God, you did this. And you did this just for me. This is a special thing, Lord. You had me wait. And I'm so thankful. What does Proverbs 18:22 say? He who finds a wife finds a good thing. So when you finally find her, it's like, yes, yes. <laughs> and so how did I make it all those years waiting? The only, the only way I made it was, uh, obviously, I, I developed my relationship with the Lord, and I served in the church. I mean, I was... I didn't really hang out with a lot of singles. It probably would have hurt me to do that because I, I just would have been more lonely and maybe even more tempted to do something stupid early on. Um, I hung out more with families. I would go to a family's house who would have children. I, I just need to be with families. And I'd bring some ice cream and just show up on their doorstep randomly, no invitation. I mean, when you're single, you can do this. I mean, when you got six kids, you don't just show up on the doorstep. Here we are, you know. But I was single, and uh, I, I, needed, I needed what families had. I needed to see how, 
how women love their children, how men love their children. I needed to just sit there. I needed to have their little children sit on my lap. I needed that. And so that's what I did for all those years. I, I mean, I was, I, I was a youth leader. I was you know, doing mission trips. I was serving in the church. It's not like I sat home and brooded and, and got all depressed and discouraged. I just got active in the church and uh, built my relationship with the Lord. So if any of you maybe have been waiting for a spouse, a mate for a long time, uh, don't get discouraged. Keep trusting in God, but build your relationship with God. Okay, That's your only hope, honestly. Otherwise, you're just miserable. You're just lonely and complaining. So that's how, that's how God gave me the grace to do that. All right, I, I got off a little bit here, but we're talking about a counterpart here. Um, let's keep reading verse 21 and 22. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into, the, fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. Now, this is strange. This is the first recorded instance of surgery in the Bible, right? God is the surgeon and the anesthesiologist all at once. So he knocks Adam out, puts him to sleep, cuts open his side, yanks the rib out. I don't know. (laughs) Took the rib out gently, sewed him back up, sent him to rehab. I don't know what he did. Um, Somehow Adam recovers. I mean, but God does this surgery, and it's like, there's a woman. So why, what is going on with this? Why would God do that? It doesn't say, so we're going to have to use some some speculation again. Um, You know, this is speculation, but it's kind of interesting to think about. Out of Adam's side came his bride, right? Do you agree? Jesus was pierced in his side for our transgression. And out of his side came the blood of a new covenant, right, which was the church, his bride. So I'm just wondering if there's any kind of parallel going on with what came out of Adam's side versus the covenant that came out of Christ's side for his bride, which is the church. I don't know. You can think about that yourself. So I'm trying to think, why was why did God do it this way, okay? Um, there's another reason why, maybe, is, okay, it's, it's hard if you're a woman to picture this. It's even hard if I'm a man to picture this. But, okay, so I'm a man. And so I'm gonna, God's going to take a part of this body, right? He's going to. I've got my ribs. I can actually feel my rib right here. So God's going to just yank it out <laughs> and uh, hopefully numb me. And so then he's going to make a, a woman from my body. I mean, how would you feel? What would you think? And the only thing I, I could think about is, you know how sometimes people have, uh, you know, they need a kidney or a liver, you know, liver transplants and things like that. So they need a liver donor or a um, and there's there's a bond, there's a connection, right? So somebody somebody volunteers, uh, somebody maybe somebody dies or or whatever. But let's say you you give up one of your liver or uh, a lung lung transplant. We have two lungs, so you could live on one lung, right? 
Do we have two kidneys? Okay, so we could give one kidney and still live. So imagine giving somebody your kidney. You're alive with one kidney. And that person that's got your kidney, would you, you know, what would you feel towards that person? It's kind of like there's something special going on there, even if you didn't know them, even if they were a perfect stranger. So I would imagine, uh, you know, Adam's going to marry this woman. I mean, this is his wife. I would imagine there's really some kind of special connection maybe emotionally and even physically between Adam and his wife being taken from him. Um, so just a thought, just a thought. Uh, let's look at another interesting. Now, this is a reason from Scripture. Um, God is going to use Adam being made first and the woman being created from Adam God is going to use that picture as a reason to define the role of the man in the church and in marriage. Isn't that interesting? How does that work? Let's go to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 2.11. So, again, all I'm trying to figure out is why did God do it this way? Well, God's going to use that situation to define a role. It says, a woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. Why, Paul? Why would you say that? For it is Adam who was first created, and then Eve. Well, that's interesting. So, you know, Paul goes all the way back to Genesis. What God does, I mean, it's just really strange kind of how God takes the woman from the man. He makes the man first. Then he waits, and then he takes the the woman out of the man. Well, one reason he does that, apparently, is to define the role of leadership in the church. Say, hey, I want the man to have the role of leadership in the church. Yes, the men and women are equal in my sight, but again, this this is the role I want to have. So he appeals to Genesis for that. Same with in the in the marriage. If we go to First Corinthians, First Corinthians eleven eight. The context of 1 Corinthians is not up there. I'm just going to read it for you in verse 3. This is 11.3. Paul says, But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and that the man is the head of woman, and God is the head of Christ. So this whole passage is talking about the headship. And by the way, everyone has a head, right? Who is Christ's head? God, right? Who is the man's head? Christ. Who is the woman's head? The man. Okay, so there's an order, right? Can God do that? He's creator, right? He can design. He can do whatever he wants. We already did that on our dating series. God can do what he wants. Um, but why does he do that? In verse 8, well, let me, let me just give you a little background so I don't confuse you. So this is talking about headship. And apparently in their day, there was something going on with head coverings, right? So for some reason, it was a disgrace if a woman didn't have her head covered literally in church. So you're okay. You're the only one in this church that's okay. Everybody else, you're in trouble. Uh, no, they had this custom where the woman was to wear a head covering, and that was a symbol of headship and authority with her husband. And it was a disgrace if the woman didn't wear her head covering, and it was also a disgrace if the man did wear a head covering. So Paul's like, hey, guys, in church, we got this custom. We don't want to mess it up. There's a divine principle here. 
it goes back to God, Jesus, and the man and the woman in headship. It's like, let's not make waves in the church. Um, and the reason for this, by the way, guys, is this in verse 8. For man, I'm sorry, verse 7. Uh, for a man ought not to have his head covered, <laughs> which is what I was saying, since he's the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. So the woman was to have her head covered. Verse 8, why, Paul? For man does not originate from the woman, but woman comes from the man. For indeed, the man was not created for the woman's sake, but the woman for the man's sake. That, that's just the way God did it, right? Isn't that interesting? Why did God do it that way? I don't know. He's God. He can do whatever he wants. I'm just telling you what he said. Okay, so, um, <clears throat> now if you think about this, you know, application for this, is there an application to my wife was pulled out of my, the side of my body? There actually is an application I thought of because it should give the men particularly a greater appreciation for the woman that they have, right? Because you know the woman that you have is directly handpicked by God and brought to you. And there's something special there with the woman that God brought to you. And so as our marriages go on 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, what happens? A lot of times it's same old, same old, right? We fall into these patterns. Uh, maybe even our marriages can struggle at, at certain times. But I think, I think what it should make us realize is, you know, this is something from God. And this is a gift from God, right? If this woman comes out of the man and is given to the man, isn't that a gift? So we should be very thankful for the gift, our spouse. doesn't matter what be thankful. You know, wives should be thankful for the husbands. Husbands should be thankful for the wives. All right, let's keep reading. Uh, verse 23. Back to Genesis again. Okay, the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So now Adam got to name the animals, and now he, got, he gets to name his wife. He calls her, whoa, man, when he first saw her. <laughs> like, whoa. <laughs> Not really, but uh, woman means, woman is feminine, obviously, and it means uh, taken from the man. That's, that's what it means. So you can imagine... Like I said, there's that waiting period. Adam's just watching these animals in heat, and finally he gets to see his own counterpart, his own suitable person presented to him. And again, um, I can, you know, I used to use, I don't know if you guys ever did this, I used to use this expression derogatorily. Uh, he thinks he's God's gift to women, or she thinks he's. Did you ever hear that expression? Well, Eve was literally God's gift to Adam. And that is really cool. Eve is incredibly precious, special, custom-made, custom-tailored, and presented to Adam uh, to complete Adam. And, of course, she would be completed, he would be completed, and the rest was history. Here we are thousands of years later, right? It, it worked, didn't it? <laughs> the process worked. Uh, so I think that is really cool. Um, so... Let me, uh, let me keep going here. Verse 24. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. 
Okay, so what is this one flesh thing? Well, it's sexual union. I think it's more, though, than just sexual union. I think it's just a union of the minds, too. In, as, as far as one purpose, we're now one family. You know, we're, you know, my wife and I, we're one. We're, we're one in mission, we're one in purpose, and we're one in intimacy. I think it probably encompasses all the, those ideas. But verse 24 is really the formal definition of marriage here. How do I know that? Because Jesus says so in Mark, and you don't have that up there. But remember the Pharisees were giving Jesus a hard time about divorce. Well, why then did Moses command divorce? And Jesus is like, Moses didn't command divorce. You used the wrong word. Moses permitted divorce because of the hardness of your heart. But from the beginning, it wasn't always that way. And then Jesus actually quotes the scripture. For this reason, a man shall leave his mother and father and be joined to his wife. um, And the two shall become one flesh. He said, therefore, what God joined together, don't let man separate. Would you agree Jesus is talking about marriage there, right? Okay, so what do we learn from that? Number one, we learn that you don't just look for any excuse to get divorced. Number two, we learn that marriage, when two, when a man and woman are joined together to become one flesh, first of all, it's a man and a man. No, 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 no. Wait, wait. It's a, it's a man and a transgender woman. No, wait, wait, wait. I got that wrong. It's, <laughs> it's a man and a woman, right? It's a man and a woman. So, it's not homosexual, it's not pansexual, it's not transsexual, it's not bisexual, it's heterosexual. That's God's design from the beginning. Now remember, if you missed my message on dating, I showed you that God made the, the heavens and the earth, and I spun the, I spun the globe on my finger, I pretended to be God, and then I made these little clay Play-Doh things, and, and you saw I was so superior to these little clay Play-Doh things, right? I mean, just there's no contest. We are the clay, Plato. God is the designer, creator. And if God wants heterosexuality, and that's the plan, we say, amen. That was a pretty deep one. Huh? <laughs> but that's okay. Uh, so you need to teach your children because guess what's becoming more and more prevalent? So now your children and your children's children, it's going to be normative in schools um, to deal with gays transgenders, and, and anything. You say, well, you know, you're saying we shouldn't talk with them, we shouldn't like them. I didn't say that at all. You love people, right? They need to see what love looks like. Not the love they're looking for. They're looking for an emotional and sexual love. When they see love that lays its life down, when they see love that serves with no strings attached, that's what anybody needs. See, doesn't matter whether they're uh, drunks, doesn't matter whether they're party hardy, doesn't matter whether they're homosexual, doesn't matter whether they're, any sinner needs to see the love of Christ, right? But you just need to realize you need to have talks with your children because um, they're going to have questions. Uh, number one, your children may be hit on. And number two, if the child, if, if a homosexual or transsexual or somebody comes up to your child, uh, your your child and says, well, you know, I really I really felt like when I was three years, four years old, I remember I always wanted to be, I always felt like I was a woman and not a guy. How's your child going to answer? See, if you don't teach your children 
how to respond to that, they're going to think, oh, yeah, wow, you moved. I mean, that's how you felt. Yeah, that's right. I, I can understand that. But you have to teach your children, you have to teach them Genesis. Does that make sense? You have to teach your grandchildren Genesis. Again, this isn't, it's not, you know, we're accused of, of hate and all this and all that. It's not hate. We love them enough to tell them the truth and to lay down our lives for them. So, anyway, that's something that we learn from the design, right? Um, you know, one thing I didn't focus on, I want to, is Ephesians 5, 20, I'm sorry, Ephesians uh, 5, 28 and 29. There's an interesting parallel, you know, going back to this this woman taking from Adam. Um, in that par- remember, I, I told you maybe the woman, the man, maybe Adam would have a special feelings or emotional attachment, maybe physical attachment, because he knew the woman was taken from him. I wonder if Paul is kind of hinting here in Ephesians 28 and. Uh, 29, you guys can see. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. Why, why is Paul saying love your wife as your own body? He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. So one thing we learn here is that you know, men are supposed to love their wives as they love their own bodies. I'm just wondering if there's some kind of parallel that goes back to the fact that the woman was taken from the man's body. And maybe that would make it a little bit easier to love her as our own bodies if we realize where the woman came from. Hopefully I didn't. Uh, but this is one of the hardest messages I've ever done. I, I've, I've balled up this outline I don't know how many times because it's just really difficult to understand. And then... In, if you don't understand something, it's hard to present it. So um, I finally got what I thought would, would be helpful for you. All right, let's keep going here. Let's go to uh, Revelation chapter 19. Guys, this is what is so cool about marriage, two being joined for one flesh. So why did God bring them in? Why did God make Adam and Eve? And have them become one flesh. I'm about to give you the final answer on that. Okay, this is the answer. I'm going to tell you why I did it. It's in Revelation 19.7. This is my opinion of the answer anyway. All right, Revelation 19.7. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. What's that got to do with Adam and Eve? Because you don't have Adam and Eve if you don't have Christ in the church. Do you realize that? Before the foundation of the world, it was in the mind of God to have a bride. Okay? See, does the scripture say that? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's before the foundation of the world. I mean, all this was already settled in God before the foundation of the world. So this is really cool. This is the heavenly pattern. Does God need a counterpart? No. Did God desire a counterpart? Yes. Why does God want a counterpart? He doesn't have any needs, right? Adam, it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. It was completely fine for Jesus to be alone. 
This is this is the best I can come up with. Again, <clears throat> if you guys if you guys may come up with something different, that's even better. But to me, God's nature is so awesome, and it it's so full of love and joy and kindness and compassion and power and majesty. And there's just something in God that screams, I have to share this with someone. I need, I want to share this with someone. He doesn't need to, but it's just everything in God is like it has to be poured out to somebody and then it, and it needs to be reciprocated and come back to God. Again, so you, you can think about that. You know, what does that really mean? But for whatever reason, God the Father gave his son a counterpart, right? Take a look. Behold the counterpart. Okay. So we're all, your marriage is going to end here on earth. But when we get to heaven, we, we right here, will be the bride of Christ for all of eternity. And what's the the parallel thought? Earthly marriage has the sexual union, right? Well, how does that work in heaven? There's no sexual union in heaven. In heaven, we are members of Christ's body, right? So we are in union with Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Okay. And the scripture says that. We're members of his body. That's the parallel. So the sexual union is paralleled by being one with Jesus Christ. All right. Another thought here, back to the Garden of Eden. Uh, I don't, you guys ever heard this said? God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Okay. That's that's true. That's exactly what happened. All right, let me give you a uh, let me summarize this. Um, this is the design summary. You ready? Okay, so marriage. This is what you need to teach your kids. You really do. Marriage is between a man. And a woman for life. Okay, got it? Life. Okay, so divorce was not to be the plan. It was to be for life. That's what Jesus said. So say, ah, oh, Elder John said, I can't. I'm in. I'm in a divorce. I'm sinning. I didn't say that, did I? <laughs> no. Uh, this isn't a teaching on divorce. I'm just telling you the intent of marriage, right? Okay. The woman was created for the man as a helper. To help him do what? Rule the earth, raise children, finances, preach the gospel to every creature under heaven and everything else under the sun, right? Okay. The woman was created to be suitable for Adam. Suitable meaning a counterpart, kind of like an opposite to Adam. That's kind of where we get the hetero part, too. Uh, and she would complete Adam what Adam was missing. And he would complete what she was missing, right? So we would be a complete unit. The man is to be the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. A man and woman need to leave the influence of their parents to start an independent family unit. Um, So remember he said that this is why a man will leave his mother and father. So if you have children about ready to get married, uh, don't try to don't try to live your marriage through them. Let them go. 
They want to go. Let them go. Push them out. Get them out of the nest. It's exciting when you get married because you get to start your own life. And God says that that's what you need to do. So you don't want to be some controlling type of parents where you're, you're pushing the way you did it. That doesn't mean you don't help your children. Obviously, you're going to help your children. And obviously, they're going to come to you for help. But this is God's like, hey, this is officially the way I designed it. Let your children go off, get married. They have primary responsibility for their family directly to me, not to the parents anymore. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, the union of the man and the woman is marriage. in marriage is a picture of Jesus Christ in the church, which I think is really cool. All right, so application. If you're single, here, here's how I would pray, honestly. I would pray these scriptures to God. If you're a woman, I would say, God, I just pray you give me the, the ability to wait and be patient. Lord, I do desire to be married. Uh, God, please help me to be a good helper. Lord, I just pray you would bring me to the, to the man of God that I need so that I'll be suitable for him. He'll be suitable for me. And Lord, show me what to do in the meantime so I don't get uh, carried away and into the wrong types of things. I would pray that. And if you're a man, single man, I would pray, God, you, I pray you would raise up a helper suitable for me. Lord, you know who she is. Help me to wait. You see what I'm saying? See the application of prayer? This is what you want to do. And you say, well, it's been a long time and God just hasn't provided. <clears throat> well, the only one I know, the best way I know to get married is an arranged marriage. And the the father that arranges your marriage is your heavenly father. To me, I mean, you can go to singles groups and you can go. I'm not saying God won't use those things, but God is the arranger of marriages. I mean, that's as clear as day. Adam is just minding his own business, watching the animals roam and frolic. <laughs> and all of a sudden, he's, he's down on the ground asleep. And the next thing you know, a woman appears. God did it, right? Isaac's walking out in the field. Do you remember Isaac? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Isaac's walking out in the field at evening to meditate. He's just fine. He's watching the birds fly. He's meditating in the field. And all of a sudden, over the horizon, what does he see? Rebecca, his wife. By the way, she was beautiful. So it's, it's like, you know, God is working behind the scenes. Don't get frustrated. Don't get discouraged. Build your relationship with the Lord. Get involved in the church. Serve people. And all of a sudden, next thing you know, you'll be out in the field and there she is or there he is. It really will happen. It happened to me. I I was on a mission. I was going to a church to pray with a youth pastor. Not like I was going to a bar. (laughs) Um, but And I met my wife. I wasn't looking for a wife when I went to Chapel Hill to pray at Grace Church. I was looking to pray with another youth pastor. But God said, here she is. Isn't that cool? He can do that for you. He really does. He he really will do that. Um, If you're already married, all right, guys, you look at your wife. She's put on some weight. You get a little discouraged because we live in a sex-saturated society. You're probably watching the wrong things anyway. I'm just kidding. Not really, but... um, And so you're a little down because your wife put on some weight. All you need to do is look at your own belly, okay? 
That's not the focus. The focus is not weight. Here's the focus. You guys can be pleasantly plumped together. The focus is, or you can do it. I, here's what I just did. I joined the gym, um, Planet Fitness. Uh, not because I'm overweight, just because of health, health situations. But you know, it's 10 bucks a month. You guys, if that's that important in your marriage, men and women, it's $10 a month. You guys can handle it, okay? But here's the application. Men, when you look at your wife now, you should see someone that was handpicked, crafted, specially prepared for you. And ladies, when you look at this guy, yes, all right, he's, he's, got, he's, he's, he's developed some patterns that aren't what, what they were years and years ago. You want to say, God, you know what? When I met him, you provided him at just the right time in my life. He was such a blessing to me, Lord. And, and you know, God, I'm not going to be negative. I bless him. I thank you for him. Lord, I, I just pray you do a great work in him. He'll be a man of God, a man of faith all the days of his life. Lord, show me how to be a better servant to him, God, to my children. Lord, I bless him. You guys see what I'm saying? That's the marriage application. Okay. Um, what other applications do we have? You have kids. Enjoy them, right? I mean, enjoy sex. Enjoy your children. Realizing that your children, you love your children. You're blessed by your children. You hug your children. You take care of them, right? Guess what? They are going to have an earthly bride or husband, but they're also going to be part of the bride of the Lamb. They're going to be at the wedding feast. Your children will be at the wedding feast of the Lamb. Is that cool or what? And when we die, my children's 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 children, I'm going to meet in heaven at the wedding feast of the Lamb. So that just trying to give you guys some vision and perspective. All right, so I did the best I could with this. I know it wasn't perfect, but uh, hopefully I was able to share adequately and honor God with his design for marriage. It's a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com, contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.